This week on the latest episode of Keeping It Real with Film Gordon, the writer's strike is in week eight or nine, and you will see that nothing has been written today. Uh, joining us will be live via satellite, Charles Kirkland Jr., who's our co-host, as well as the return of the lovely Lanita Cook, who is now in Los Angeles, and Charles where Charles' whereabouts are, we'll talk about that momentarily. We will have all that, the writer's strike, the impending television strike. I don't really have any movies to review today, but we're going to kick it and do what we do. All that coming up on the latest episode of The Big Show. Keeping it real with Film Gordon. Let's go. Experience life through the eyes of a true film addict. Keeping it real with Film Gordon. And welcome to the latest episode of Keeping It Real with Film Gordon. I am Tim Gordon, one week away, and now I'm back in studio. I tagged Charles Kirkland on the way out because this week, instead of him being here, he's on the road. Lenita Cook returns after fighting the battle of battles with Apple devices versus non Apple devices. She'll get into that. Um, and it's a, uh, you know, with the writer's strike going on. And the impending actor strike is coming. Uh, it's a slow time in Hollywood right now, but that's why you got us for the next 60 minutes. Uh, first of all, so Charles Kirkland, how are you, brother? I'm doing well. The reason why I'm incognito, um, destination unknowns, I'm on my anniversary uh, celebration weekend, and I, I don't want anyone to track me. All right. And Lenita Cook, you tell the people where you are right now. I am in Los Angeles um, having a great time. I hope it's okay to say I'm at the Four Seasons, so it's so beautiful. Fancy, mm. um, <laughs> fancy. Yeah. Um, but I want to know what anniversary. I'm missing this anniversary, Charles. Yeah, Charles, what, talk, yeah. about, talk about the anniversary, Charles. Yeah, well, it's my 27th wedding anniversary today, and so uh, my wife and I have uh, abandoned the the area so that we could be together. So let me ask you a question, and and you know you don't have to tell me. Are you wearing pants underneath that shirt, or are you in? Absolutely the- not. I'm, I'm <laughs> naked, uh, naked from here below. <laughs> Lenita. Charles Charles swears that uh, he's not going to tell us where he is. I think we should play a game to try to guess where Charles Kirkland is. And a lot of this started, Lenita, because about a month and a half ago, Charles swore been down uh, that he was going to see an Earth, Wind & Fire concert that nobody knew existed. And he actually, actually did have a secret Earth, Wind & Fire concert. So I actually had to give him credit. So, um, but we were all salty and, and teasing them because it was like, man, we don't see an Earth, Wind, and Fire concert anywhere in DC. So, hey, man. So, Charles Kirkland, man. So, so. Manita, it was hilarious. They clowned me up and down, back and forth, and then, and then the next day they were like, oh. He really did. <laughs> he really did. That yeah, I had no idea that Earth, Wind, and Fire was still 
jamming. I oh, didn't yeah. realize oh, it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's nice. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, it's Charles, man, last attempt, man. So, well, actually, I'm, I'm lying because I'm going to tease you all so long. So, where you are, I think we should get five questions, man, each, me and Lanita. Okay. Um, I mean, are I, you I'll are you them. in North America? Yes. All right. I like this game. This is like, what's my line? So every time I get one right, I get an extra question back, right? No, 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 no. <laughs> Lanita, do you have a question for Charles? Have you gone outside the parameters of the state that you live in? Yes. Uh-oh. So Okay, so cool. This is good. This is good. All right, so hold on a second. I, thank you, Lanita. That was a good one. Um, hey, Charles. Are you in? Uh, did, I asked you, were you in country already, right? Yes, you said North America. You didn't say country. Okay. Are you in the United States right now? Yes, I am in the United States. Mm, all right, Lanita. Go ahead. Are you in a place that you haven't visited before? Absolutely, I am. Yes. Never been uh, here before. Okay. I know where Charles has gone on some trips. So, so he's in he's inside the United States. He oh, did you drive to this destination? Yes and no. Uh, well, yes, we'll say yes. Yes, I drove here. Okay. Lenita. But, so, well, so. You, I need some clarification on the yes and no. <laughs> I, I didn't drive the whole way, but I did drive some of the way. So, so when you say, it's, yeah, <laughs> you mean you took like a hot air balloon to the final destination? <laughs> <laughs> um, we did go. Up, we did go up in the air, but not uh, you know okay. in a balloon. Not in a balloon. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. Okay. All right. All right. So. Hmm. Where can you drive to if you live on the East Coast, but not drive all the way and have to take a plane someplace inside the states? Hmm. And where he has not been before. Hmm. And yeah, I've been a lot of places. In the so United wait a minute. So, so when you say you're in the states, you're inside of U.S. territory. Am I correct? Yes. Uh, yes. Yes. Okay, Lenise. So you inside U.S. territory, you could be at a couple of places, man. You know, you could be thinking about the the Dominican Republic. I mean, not DR, but you could be thinking about Puerto Rico, Guam. Are you in Puerto hmm. Rico? Ooh! <laughs> yeah, that's the winner right there. He's in Puerto Rico. <laughs> Very nice. Shane, what's up? I told you, give me five questions. I can get you. But Lenita, help. <laughs> Confirming or denying my. You don't, you don't have to confirm or deny, man. The look on your face said it all. That was. We know. That was the confirmation. So Charles is in Puerto Rico. Lenita's <laughs> in Los Angeles. I will be in Montreal. Uh, in a couple of days, man. So I'm looking forward to it. So having got that out the way, man, let's let's start uh, this week with uh, the big story. 
that's coming out a uh, couple of weeks. Oh, actually, I think the Flash dropped. Was it last weekend? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, it, seem, or, it seems like it's been forever, but it was just last weekend. Man, let me tell you something, man. The Flash, uh, which was hyped up uh, for months that, you know, this could possibly be the best superhero movie of all time. They showed us all these trailers with Batman and and the whole while Ezra Milk was... <laughs> He was very silent. And now we know why. Man, the Flash, a.k.a. the cinematic superhero trash, boy, Ooh. hit hard. And it did. And when I say it hit hard, it got hit hard at the box office. $55 million for a superhero movie on opening weekend. On, on, on a long weekend. Yeah, four-day four weekend. Four-day weekend, $55 million. They said this movie is going is tracking lower than Black Adam, which was such a disgrace that Dwayne Johnson took every job available after that movie. <laughs> he came back to the Fast Furious franchise. He said, Yo, Vin, I need some money. <laughs> and and that movie, that movie did better than than the Flash is doing. Wow, is all I can say. I was sitting at home like. Uh, Lenita, I'll start with you. How surprising was it? And and I'm asking you as a film critic, but also as a as a person who understands the business of film. How surprising is it that a movie that cost what what was that budget on the Flash? Was it 200, 200, 200, 200 million dollar movie that opened at fifty five million on a long weekend with all the promotion? That uh, Warner Brothers did for that movie. Did that surprise you? Not just as a critic, but it did surprise you as a movie fan. I will say this. I actually enjoyed The Flash. Um, I went in with super low expectations. (laughs) I went in um, expecting to hate it. um, Because of the offline controversy that's been happening with Ezra Miller. Um, and I found his performance to be more charming than I found him in the past. Um, and so I was pleasantly surprised. However, I did see it with some comic book fans who grew up with comics, who um, uh, considered themselves experts um, in the entire comic book you know, whether it's DC or Marvel or what have you, and they panned it. And so I don't think that their core base was behind the movie. Um, And so seeing those numbers didn't surprise me. And then I'm going to say that there are a lot of people who didn't see the movie because of the offline controversy. So I I felt like um, it was you know, Michael Keaton is my Batman, so I was going to see it. Um, but I do think that there are a lot of people who boycotted the movie because of the controversy. There needs to be the same kind of message sent to, um, you know, when we're taking away jobs from, say, Jonathan Majors because of allegations and accusations, the same kinds of of consequences need to be... Um, you know, shared with, uh, maybe shared with uh, non-Black actors, uh, professionals as well. The the same measures, the same extent, right? And so if you're going to lose out 
when you're Jonathan Majors, the 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 biggest guy on the planet right now, um, and everybody's going to start taking away from you, then we need to shelve this thing with this dude. But we keep giving this particular person chance after chance with similar allegations. Yeah. So what she's trying to say, and she's being very nice, is that y'all are like y'all are taking y'all pants down and drop the deuce on Jonathan Majors when the dude with 13 active allegations is allowed to not only put out a movie, but it's karma because the movie you put out, so many people were mad at you and didn't like the story. And, you know, despite the fact that I respect Lanita, she found him to be charming. I did not like his performance at all. And I wish you would have been here a week ago when we talked about this. <laughs> the Flash <laughs> is trash. And it got what it deserved, which doesn't happen a lot in this business, but that was instant karma. Charles Kirkland, what did you think about the $55 million long weekend? Because you and I had talked about this and neither of us were fans of this movie. There are times when I have been found, I find that it's just the, the world is just right. And <laughs> <laughs> I was afraid that this movie was going to make a lot of money, that it was going to do well in the box offices because of it's just another comic book story and that a lot of people would just fall in line. But I was I was actually happy to hear that it didn't do well, that people boy, that actually boycotted the movie. And I did talk to people who said, I'm not going to see the movie just for the reason that Lanita mentioned that, you know, there, there needs to be an equal measure of, of justice or, or I, that's, I guess that's an interesting word using the justice for the Justice League character. But uh, <laughs> there needs to be an equal measure for whomever we're dealing with. And, and there, a lot of people felt that uh, Majors was taking a task inappropriately, or and that Ezra Miller was given a lot of leeway, and just the and and that it just wasn't equitable. And so I, I'm, I'm I am very surprised that the Flash didn't do well, even though I mean I said that I didn't like the movie, that I didn't think it it worked too well. Um, so maybe I'd like to think that they listened to us and said, when we said it was a bad movie, not to go see it. <laughs> but uh, I know what the I know what the whole story is, and that's really what that's really what sank the Flash. I think. All right, so we're going to switch gears, uh, talking about the Flash to another upcoming movie that I will not be in town. As you notice, you see me looking down right now. I'm looking at my phone because I sent the note. Uh oh, hold on a second. Uh, okay. Uh, I'm going to be out of town for the screening of, uh, Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning. And I will just tell a story that years ago when I was out of town, I think I was at a film festival in San Francisco back in 05 and they had a screening nationally for Batman Begins. And I made a phone call. I'm like, Hey, I'm out in Frisco. Can you get me in the screening? And they were like, Sure. So now in Montreal next week, I just sent the note and I just got it back, Charles. Let me see if there's a screening during that time. Uh-oh. <laughs> me in Montreal and Tom Cruise, baby. It's coming. So having said that, Tom Cruise today, I, I, I wanted to bring this up to you guys, uh, did an interview where he said that that insane stunt that we see in the trailer, he filmed that on day one. And he said, hey, the reason I did it on day one 
If I survive and it's good, <laughs> we know that we got the movie. If, I, if it doesn't work, we got time to rewrite the movie. <laughs> Not only did he do it on day one, he did it eight times on day one. Tom Cruise, man, let me tell you something. I interviewed Tom Cruise. I don't know. I forget which Mission Impossible. This was seven, right? So it must have been either four or five. They had a, a premiere here in D.C., and I remember meeting Tom Cruise on the red carpet. And I was talking to him. And I said, the first thing I said is, you know you're a lunatic, right? <laughs> <laughs> Some of these stunts you're doing, you are a lunatic. Like, what are you doing? But Tom Cruise is a thrill seeker. And the fact, as Charles just said, that stunt, I watched it once. And I was like, whoa, you did that eight times on day one? That's how you start? That's the tone you setting for the movie on day one? <laughs> Tom Cruise, Lanita, if we remember famously, did a scene where he jumped off a building onto another building, broke his ankle. Remember that? And then got up and limped. And he was and like, finished the no, scene. No, 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 yeah, no, no, we're going to do this. I ain't doing it again. Keep on. <laughs> Tom Cruise, he, he's different, man. Like, I'm from Jersey. Tom Cruise is from Jersey. He's from a different part of New Jersey. He's built differently than me. Uh, so, uh, Charles, since I started off with Lanita the last time, uh, they're, they're tracking this movie at $90 million, which would be $35 million more than The Flash, a.k.a. The Trash. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what are you thinking about Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning? I got a feeling this movie's going to be huge. Uh, and let's also recognize that uh, Dead Reckoning is not on a four-day weekend. It's on. It's last day fifty-five on a four-day weekend. That's that's really like three days. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think a ninety million dollars is a is a conservative estimate for the film. I think it's going to do a, a little bit better. I'm I'm thinking Tom had a hundred million dollar opening earlier. I think he's going to do it again with this one. So I I like the fact that everything is back for Mission Impossible. This is my favorite of this, all of the franchises that he's been in. So um, I think, yeah, I, I'm excited for this film. I will be at the screening that, that's happening uh, here in the in the States instead of outside uh -huh. the country where you're going to be. I got you. Okay, I see what you did there. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm, I'm excited for it. I, I love Tom Cruise and uh, and we got in a discussion when we came out of Indiana Jones that Harrison Ford is actually the old OG of uh, Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise has taken Harrison Ford's craziness to another level because back in the day he was doing all that same stuff. But no, Tom has just ramped it up to 11 and, and surpassed him in craziness. But it, it, we love it. We love it. I'm, I'm, I'm you know, hang off the side of the plane. Uh, next thing, you know, was he was he going into space? You know, something. Let's let's see you do it, Tom. <laughs> Hold on the side of a rocket <laughs> and parachute off the off the rocket as it hits the stratosphere. That's what that's what it, that's what's next. That's all he can do. So, Lenita Cook, by virtue that you thought Ezra Miller was charming in the trash, a.k.a. The Flash, <laughs> I'm assuming you really hating Tom Cruise. Like, this is not your kind of movie at all. If, like, we like it, Lenita's like, man, I'm not tripping on that movie. No, I am a longtime Tom Cruise fan. Um, I think what I really appreciated about the work that he's doing now is that it's, 
it's still fresh. I think what he does is storytelling first. He understands action and he understands romance, but he tells really great stories as well. And I I do think he's a thrill seeker, uh, both on screen and off screen. He's been very vocal about that over the years. He's demonstrated uh, the lengths he's willing to go to. And we, like Charles said, we love him for it. Um, The only thing that I would say Mm -mm. is... Sometimes in these movies where he's going to these extremes, Mm. the other actors in the movies (laughs) are not able to uh, keep pace. And so I'm hoping that um, the distance between what he's doing on screen action-wise, physicality-wise, is not so far beyond what the others... because. For me, it feels a little bit like an imbalance, and I hope it's a little bit more balanced because we know, like you said, he started day one with the crazy stunt. I hope he's able to pull it back so that it feels like an ensemble piece, you know? Nice. Yeah, to to Monita's point, I think when they brought Henry Cavill in in the last film, that he was actually more of a match for time and physicality that he had been missing in in some of the previous films and I yeah I mean it's absolutely correct in that he has a tendency to overpower <laughs> the, those that around him so that yeah. makes perfect sense that makes perfect sense all right so I'm going to say this before you move on oh go ahead uh, uh I'm celebrating 27 years of marriage but even I think 10 years prior to that, my wife and I went on a date for the first time before she was my wife. To, and we saw a Tom Cruise movie. So Tom Cruise is You went actually, on a date with your wife 37 years ago? Yeah, we dated in high school before we got married. And so, you know. So wait a minute. The first Which movie was, was it? 37 years 37 ago? 37 years? Yeah. Risky yeah. business? No, it was all the right <laughs> moves. You took your and she married you anyway after <laughs> all the right moves. You talking about the high school movie where he was in Pennsylvania as a football player? Yep. She married you after you showed her that movie? Not I Top don't... Gun, not uh, Monique. Sorry. I, 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 yeah. I, I, Monique, but, why? Why? But, I mean, you should have I mean, known. Oh my it wasn't, God. it wasn't about it wasn't about the movie for real. I mean, we were on a date. It was about all y'all. the right moves, yeah, man. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do, do do not tell that story again. And I, and the fact <laughs> that you told it in front of the whole podcast audience, man. Like, if, if I take her to see, I took her to see Scarface or or, all, or Top Gun, we're gonna be watching the film. If we're if it's all the right moves, hey. Oh, so that was your plan to take it to a crappy movie? So yeah, oh, got you. Got you. Uh, uh, just get. Let me just do a disclaimer. Don't try that at home. Because the person, the person might not end up marrying you because they'll go, why did he take me to see that? And, and in all, in all actuality, it's not that it was a bad movie. It was just like, you know, this gritty football movie about a kid that's been wrong by a coach. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Not yeah. yeah. So yeah. Can I move on now, man, after you ruined the segment by adding in all the right moves. Uh, I thought that was I thought that was a great ad. Uh, that was that was yeah. a wonderful story. Happy obscure. anniversary. Charles. I think even Tom Cruise fans might not know that one, so it's all right to mention. Wait, hold on a second. Sure is Tom he's... on the line? Is Tom 
I'm sorry, Tom. I'm kidding. <laughs> All right. So up next, uh, one of my favorite directors, Christopher Nolan, of course, just did an interview and said that in some early screenings of Oppenheimer, that viewers have walked out devastated and can't speak. They think it's kind of a horror movie. Um, Now, for those at home who don't know what Oppenheimer is, I mean, it's this thing called Google. You can (laughs) Google and figure out what the Manhattan Project was, which is he's telling this story. Now, personally, Charles and I have talked about this off air, that I think that this movie being in July is a mistake. Like, this movie is an October movie, if I've ever seen one. This is like... It's going to be an awards film. I don't know why this movie is playing in July. I just, I don't get it. I don't understand it. I think the subject matter, if you look at summer blockbusters, you're looking at Barbie and Mission Impossible. People want action. They want fun. Who wants to see a story about the man who created the A-bomb in July? This is a movie where uh, Christopher Nolan is flexing his muscle. He's like, I make movies. People want to see my movies. We're gonna put this in, in the in the summer and have people and have you see that people come out to see my movies. And you mean uh, like Tenet? You mean like Tenet? Well, we had uh, we, <laughs> there were circumstances there. There were circumstances there that beyond his control. But he's, Tenet, he's like, Tenet plays as a better summer movie than Oppenheimer. True. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm not. Watch this. I love Christopher Nolan. I'm not saying that Oppenheimer is going to be bad. I think it's going to be great. I just think, why is it playing in July? <laughs> That's all I'm saying. Why is it in July? This what? movie should be premiering at TIFF. This should be a movie that's coming out in October. This should be playing later in the year because this is clearly not, quote unquote, an entertainment commercial film. This is an arts piece that they're trying to win awards with. Again, I repeat, why is it in July? <laughs> I mean, that, that that's the only explanation. Do you have an explanation? You got nothing on this? You, am I, I have nothing. I, look, I don't know Christopher Nolan well enough to say he would want to flex like that. Um, but I could agree <laughs> with Charles because <laughs> I, it's it's I see both points. I agree. July is a weird time for uh, because his movies, I think, always have a little edge of artsiness to it, like an art house edge to them. Um, And so, yeah, I think, you know, the award season fall and thereafter. uh, So it is a, a gutsy move to put it in summer blockbuster territory. And so that's a good explanation. I could put my movie anywhere on the calendar and folks going to come out. Maybe. maybe. (laughs) 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 Let me see. Mommy, um, (laughs) I want to see Barbie. But you don't want to see Oppenheimer? (laughs) No, no. (laughs) Word, Oppenheimer, July. I mean, again, I believe (laughs) that has... I don't know, production design. Uh, it has about at least four or five categories that it's going to get nominated for an Oscar. I just think that it's it's a misplaced movie. Hell, if we doing if we doing that now, why can't I see the color purple next month? I mean, I, I, if we don't really care about award season and we just throwing movies with it wherever you throw them at. Show them all to me. Don't don't wait until October, November, December, the way we have been conditioned 
all of all the years I've ever been a critic that that's how it happens. But then Christopher Nolan, who I love dearly, put out Dunkirk in the summer. He's like, hey, man, he put out Tenet in the summer. Thought thought people were going to be forced to get out of their houses, their comfortable, uh, safety-protected houses during the pandemic. And that was a mistake, Mr. Nolan. <laughs> yeah. I wonder... I wonder what the strategy really is. It could be ego-driven, but I wonder what the strategy really is because I, I do fear that after Tenant, because that was not successful, and I, and it was not successful not just because of the pandemic, but because of the movie itself. And if we have another one that's misplaced in the calendar, uh, will that start to shift his reputation, Right. No, I think, I think Nolan's reputation is Nolan's reputation. And what may shift is somebody will come to him and go, uh, excuse me, bruh. Um, we're going to put these movies where they belong. I know you want to be Christopher Nolan and just do your thing. But at some point, you know, there's a system that we built. Martin Scorsese is not release, releasing his film in June or July. Uh, Steven Spielberg is not releasing movies in June and July. I mean, come on, man. I, that's all I'm saying. Like, make it make sense to me, right? Hmm. Um, I just, I mean, if kids are home and families are home for the summertime, who's the family or child that wants, is going to pick Oppenheimer this summer? And don't give me this this stuff about counter-programming because there is no counter-programming in the summer. It's children's stuff versus action stuff. That's the counter-programming. Um, Oppenheimer is a grown-up story about one of the most dark chapters of the 20th century in July. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. In July. So I'm gonna let it go. I'm gonna let it go because all y'all are looking at me like Tim is like Tim is on one. Yes, he is, because it makes no sense. Isn't it going sense. up? Isn't it going up against Barbie that weekend? It, I think, I think it might Barbie's be. the twenty first right. July. Yeah, I think you're, yeah. I think they're close. They're close to each other. Yeah. And also remember that the movie we just talked about before we started this segment, Mission Impossible, is still going to be in the theater. So if I, you know, you got Barbie, Mission Impossible. Um, I'm not sure what Elemental is going to do because it really didn't. Yeah, that one. Yeah, that was another one, man. It was it was a bad weekend at the box office, man. Uh, the Blackening, which played at our film festival and played in Kansas City at the Juneteenth KC Film Festival and had audiences laughing, $6 million <laughs> over the long weekend. I'm just, hey, now, wow. the issue, watch this, the Blackening's issue, which I think, is y'all screened it too many times. You screened it like, they had like seven screenings in, in, in Washington, D.C., and I'm sure they screened it a bunch of times in KC, they, they showed it to too many people. The idea of an advanced screening is to show it several times so you get several different audiences. But if you show any movie 10 times before it comes out, why am I going to see it? Everybody's seen it already. That's what happened to the black. Well, and and I don't think I don't think the word of mouth on the blackening has been strong enough. Because I know that people were apprehensive. One, because uh, the cast, the central cast is virtually unknown. They're not 
big, major, recognizable stars. But then, of course, Black people are very fearful of what this movie is actually about and what it's actually saying and what it's depicting. And you have to go see it to understand that it's actually very well thought out. Um, The commentary on Blackness and friendship and relationships is very strategic. but you have to see it to know that. And I don't think there's enough people championing the film. Well, it, it, well I don't know. I don't know who else could. Cha- I mean, there there are people who have championed the film. And, and I think a lot of people worried that the film would be too cartoony, kind of like uh, a slapsticky kind of thing, like what Marlon Williams had done in in movie in comedy horror movies before. And despite us be- beating the drum saying this, this is an intelligent a uh, 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 horror comedy that uh, it, it fell on deaf ears, I, and even those people who who went to multiple screenings, they after they've seen it and they've told their friends, it's like, yeah, okay, well, it, it's not that great for me. I, I I'm not pressed to see a horror movie, and mm. uh, but I, I mean, I think I don't know how they misstepped. Maybe it was too much, uh, too many screenings. Um, uh, but I also think that maybe they just didn't do enough pro- just out and out promotion of the film uh, to, to where, where, you know, <laughs> how many times have we seen stories on Mission Impossible? How many times have we seen stories on on The Flash uh, trailers and all that stuff? And then compared to what happened with the blackening, and I, I think they they, they kind of dropped the ball on promoting the film. Uh, it, it, the studio did. And so yes. I think it could have been better, uh, a lot better produ- uh, promoted so that people would come out and see it and see what what it really was. Yeah. All right, guys. Uh, I, will, I will say oh, when, 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 I, when, the, when the first trailer dropped, somebody sent the trailer to me and the and the expectation was that I was going to hate it. Right. And this was last year when I saw this trailer and then. Between that time and the screening I went to, and right before the screening, somebody was like, yeah, I don't know what this is about to be. I'm going to give it 30 minutes. And if it ain't this, I'm going to walk out, right? <laughs> and it's like, so the expectation for this movie is to hate it. And so we haven't said enough uh, counter, counter communicating that you're going to love it. Trust me. And I think that's, that's the hard part is people are expecting to hate it. Yeah. Yeah. All righty. Well, time for me to shift gears again, and this one is going to be fun. (laughs) Um, For, for our critic folks, of course, uh, we know that secret invasion dropped on Disney plus Uh, all of us being the, the, the weighty critics that we are got a chance to look at secret invasion before it dropped. And one of the things that was burning up social media was about the AI introduction, the the credits of Secret Invasion, which was, people were just heated behind this. But I bring this up, not that we're going to talk about Secret Invasion, but I really want to throw a a curveball to you guys. Uh, One of the last two surviving Beatles, Paul McCartney, was interviewed at the Tribeca Film Festival about a week ago. And he said, and I quote, that they are working on a final Beatles album. Now, the Beatles broke up in 1970. I just want to clarify this. 
This is now 2023. So a final Beatles album, 53 years later, using AI. Now, fans went, got upset, and he said, uh, he came back and went, no, 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 we're not recreating anything. We found some old demos, and we're using AI to clean them up a little bit. Now, here's the question. And, and, and again, I, Paul McCartney is a legend. He's an icon. 53 years, man. First of all, I don't think anybody's asking for a final Beatles album. I mean, maybe I missed the memo. Was there a memo, Shane? Were you, did, you, did you have a conversation when you were at HU? Nobody asked for a finals Beatles album, right? Um, here's another question. And this, is, this has nothing to do with the Beatles. Um, is there anybody out there that you would want a final album from with a little AI assistance? Would you want a, a Michael Jackson album? Would you yes. want a Prince album? You, so, so y'all guys think this is a cool thing to do. See, Shane and I are both looking at both of y'all like, wait, what? So, so I would, I would do a Pavarotti, a Luciano Pavarotti AI album. I would love to hear him again. Yes, 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 yes. Are you telling me? So you telling me the Pavarotti, all that work Pavarotti left you is not good enough. You want some more Pavarotti with some with some AI assistance? I'm saying I'm not saying I'm asking for it. I, I'm I'm not pro AI, not yet. At least I'm I'm like, yo, yo, pump the brakes on this one right here. Like I'm not sold on AI just yet, particularly as AI moves into creative realms. But in a world where people are creating AI albums of of uh, deceased. Yes. If they made one from Luciano Pavarotti, I would listen. Yes, absolutely. So, Charles, you're saying that. um if there was uh, some old material around a Miles Davis, you take a Miles Davis AI jazz album. Uh, no, I'm not saying that. But I am saying that if the, I know there's lots of Prince material sitting in a vault somewhere. And if somebody took that material and cleaned it up a little bit or whatever, yes. sequenced it so that it plays... Yeah, I want to hear that. No. Michael Jackson too. Yeah. Isn't that what they isn't that what they did with Sanctified Lady with Marvin Gaye? Marvin Gaye, and I wasn't a big fan of that one either. Because yeah. and, and, and let me and let me just say this as a and, and again, I know people at home are watching. My email address is filmgordon at gmail.com for all your angry comments on this one. My point is, is that music to me, exists in a certain bubble, a certain window, right? And, like, Stevie Wonder has been recording since he was 11 years old, so Stevie is 70. So Stevie's been putting out music for six decades, right? There's going to come a time somewhere we hope way down the line that there's no more Stevie Wonder who's in the physical, right? And when that time comes, I'm, and I love Stevie Wonder. Charles knows he's my favorite artist of all time, right? You'll never hear me say, man, they found some Stevie. If somebody could clean that up and we can get it up. No, Stevie gave me what he gave me in his time. I don't need Biggie and Tupac AI. I don't need a new <laughs> Beatles album AI. I don't need, as much as I love Prince, you know, when they went in the vault and found the demos, like that, that famous album they put out about four years ago, that was great. 
because that was Prince doing Prince, right? I don't need Prince helped along. I want Prince in his purest form. And Prince had a, a, a demo that was sitting there. You said, let's release the demo. And you had to touch it up a little bit, perhaps. But I'm not begging for it because Prince left me decades worth of music. Michael Jackson left us decades worth of music. Luther Vandross left us decades worth of music. I don't need you to help me. Well, yeah, I, just, I think you just said exactly what I did, though. When you said if there's a if there's a demo out there and they can fix it and release it, that's what I'm yeah. saying. How I'm much saying, fixing we talking about, though, Charles? I'm not saying create an album. Yeah, I don't want AI a posing. I just... Yeah. If there's some editing that needs to be done and you're going to send it through an AI link to edit the, the song, yeah. But I'm not saying create beats or tracks or <laughs> harmonies or whatever through an AI process. Let me hear it. I, if you're going to clean it up, great. But I'm not saying create anything through it through an AI. No, that, no, I don't yeah, want that. I don't want it. I don't want. Nor do I want to see a hologram on the stage of a guy that's been dead for for <laughs> twenty years dancing and singing a song. I don't want to see that either. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I, but if you're going to give me something that's and. The Beatles is a very bad ex example for me because I, I mean I like the Beatles, but I'm not asking for any any more Beatles. I think the Beatles don't exist anymore and shouldn't can't Dang. be brought back. <laughs> they don't exist anymore. But, but an artist like Prince, he, he's I mean he he has he such exist anymore stuff either. that huh? <laughs> when, when you say doesn't exist, do you mean? Not well, a part of the zeitgeist. I, I mean that their time doesn't exist. The the you spoke about the bubble, and, but I yeah. think there's some stuff that Prince did or has done or maybe holding on to that might be just about as relevant today as it was in the time when he released it. Because that bubble has not burst completely. I don't know. Well, well, I tell you this much, man. I came to the Beatles late, but when I got there. Paul McCartney and John Lennon as songwriters. And, and I've told the story in the air. People always talk about, you know, classic albums. They put out six classic albums in 10 years. The only other person or act that has done that is Stevie Wonder, who did six classic albums in his 10-year prime. And, it, and Stevie Wonder was by himself and blind to do the same thing that Paul McCartney and John Lennon did. Stevie Wonder's great. I don't care what if, if if you walk down the street and you say Stevie Wonder and somebody doesn't go, he's great, just smack him in the face and keep moving. <laughs> just smack him in the face because they deserve it. you don't understand what greatness is if you don't understand Stevie Wonder and his contribution. So but I, I've said that and you guys have sort of answered the question because the AI thing is 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 getting scary to me because you know yes. they, I'm seeing these IG videos now where people are taking, you know, we found a new Michael Jackson song. No, you didn't. Michael Jackson didn't sing that. Like like when they try to confuse, they put a, a video of Michael Jackson standing in the studio doing "We Are the World" and they put some crazy AI song and be like, "We found a hidden Michael Jackson song." No, you didn't. No, you didn't. Because Michael Jackson <laughs> was so protective of what he did. Michael Jackson did what he did in the time period that he lived. The same thing with Prince. Like, I don't like, I mean, I know that Prince left a vault of music, man. It's just one of life's great what ifs. What if Prince had finished a lot of these songs? I mean, he was only able to put out 
so much music and he put out a bunch. I mean, Prince put out so much music. Nobody should be asking for a new Prince anything. Go back and explore the stuff he's already done because you clearly haven't heard it all. Yeah. I'm sorry. My yeah, I think I think we're asking. I think we're asking a couple <laughs> of different questions. We're asking, would we want to see more from our favorite <sighs> artists, even though they're deceased? Right. And if we did that, what technology would we would we want them to use, right? And and AI is such a frontier uh, technology right now, and it's pretty scary. I think most people are scared of the capabilities of AI, not just because we grew up on the Terminator and on the Matrix, but because real world <laughs> implications. Uh, it, 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 it seems like um, it's going to make everybody obsolete. And so I think we're asking two, two different questions. Would I love to hear another Luther Vandross uh, album? Uh, yes, I would. Yeah, I would. You know, but do I want him to be recreated, his voice, his likeness in any other way by AI? No, it's scary. Mm. But like you you brought up social media, this this AI is a function of how we exist on social media. This is something that I've been talking about for a long time. I used to do the social media posts where you would lip sync like to some um you know popular line that's you know got, you know, trending right now. And I went lip sync and I realized on, on one that I was not lip syncing right. And the AI fixed it. The AI (laughs) fixed it. So AI stepped in and helped you out, huh? Yeah. And, and to me, that's when I realized what's actually happening. This thing has my likeness and it can make me move and say Things at its will, not mine. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Look, look, Lanita, on that note, man, I can't. That's hard to follow. But speaking of uh, the perfect note, um, I discovered there is one movie that I want to review this week. And I don't know who's seen it. One. Uh, It's a Netflix film. Um, Have you guys had an opportunity to see The Perfect Find? No. All righty, I'm glad you said that because Tim Gordon has, and since my name is on the show, we're going to do this. Uh, I almost feel like when I say that, like, whatever happens, it's going to be all right. You know, like, I watch these movies, and I'm like, the star is okay. His name is in the title. He'll be okay. All well, right. I, did, I, I did see No Hard Feelings this week, too, so, I mean, I well, don't know. I mean, do you want to do some No Hard Feelings before I do The Perfect Five? I think Lenina and I both have seen that film. Have you both seen it? Yeah. Right, yeah. Let me let me set it up for you because you know I'm I'm giving I'm a giving giving host. Uh, you you said no hard feelings with Jennifer with Jennifer Lawrence. That's correct. Yes, yes, yes. All right, cool. So, all righty, it's time for us to review some movies. And of course, Charles Kirkland, Lenita Cook, and I are members of the Critics Choice Association. So when we give you a review. It's not saying that it's perfect, but it comes from some folks who do this. So, all right. On the brink of losing a childhood home, a desperate woman agrees to date a wealthy couple's introverted and awkward 19-year-old son before he leaves for college. From Sony Pictures releasing, it is uh, No Hard Feelings, which stars Jennifer Lawrence, Andrew Barth Feldman, 
And of course, Natalie Morales is in it, Matthew Broderick, and some other people, because I didn't see the film. All right, so Lenita, we will lead off with you. Uh, break down and tell us your feeling or tell your feelings, your thoughts of no hard feelings. Well, I will say, no matter what, I always see Philippe the Mouse. I love Matthew Broderick. Um, and I thought he was great on screen. <laughs> um I, from the trailer, thought this was going to be what you're calling the flash. I thought it was going to be straight, stinky, garbo trash. I'm, and then I was like, I left light and uplifted. I said, whoa, how did they do that? Now, is it a perfect movie? No, but it completely dashed my expectations for this one. I thought it was going to be raunchy. I thought it was going to be just this side of pedophilic. I thought it, you know, and and it was actually quite sweet and tender. Um, The only issue that I had with it, um, performances are great. All the stuff, the humor is funny. I laughed. Uh, I didn't cry. And I'm I'm a big crier. But I think it's because the emotional things that they do in the movie, she's estranged from her father. Uh, Like you said, she's on the brink of losing her house. They don't really tie those things up. They just kind of say... This is what we're going to do to to bring some emotional bearing, but we're that's the extent that we're going to use it for. There's no arc there. So that was the only thing I didn't respond well to. Otherwise, I had a good time and I'm glad I saw it. All righty. And Charles Kirkland, what are your thoughts on No Hard Feelings? I, I totally agree with Lenny. I, I, I went into this movie thinking because I've... One of uh, the films that I was thinking about going to see this was The Girl Next Door with uh, mm. uh, what uh, I, I can't even remember her name. But um, and this movie really surprised me in that it had an emotional core. They could have delved deeper into it. There was one scene where it really is driven home to her about her feelings with her about her father, and they just kind of let it go instead of actually trying to resolve it. But I was actually really surprised. I, I, it was really good to see Matthew, Brod- Matthew Broderick on the screen again. Um, but this movie just came out of nowhere. It was is, and I use the same words: tender, sweet, and delightful. When mm. when you get through it, and mm. I think walking out of the film because I had such a low expectation, I was really ecstatic about what I had seen. And then it, it kind of calmed down after after a little while. But I really appreciated the what they did in this movie and uh, how they uh, especially made sure that, that, that they knew. The child was 19, not 18, uh, uh, to make sure that this is not as horrible, even though it is (laughs) a terrible idea. But um, I mean, because there's there's parents out there that do this kind of thing for their children growing up all the time. And so it's not really that out of the left field, the, the premise. And so I was like, yeah, this movie really works. I enjoyed it. All right, so nobody gave me any grades. Lenita, I'll start with you. What is your grade on this film? Oh, I will give it a B plus. Whoa, well, that's pretty good. You did feel light. Wow. Okay. I, yeah. A straight B for me. Not a. I, I'm not going to give it a plus. 
A straight B and a B plus. All right, I got I'm you. I'm giving it a plus because the soundtrack was pretty rad. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, anytime, anytime Lanita uses rad in a sentence, she liked that movie. <laughs> All right, so no hard feelings is in theaters tomorrow. Um, you know, you got your recommendation there. And I'm going to end the show today with uh, a film that we tried to get unsuccessfully for the Light Real Film Festival, and I saw it and I was I was pretty upset. Not that the movie <laughs> wasn't good. But that the movie was good. And I was like, man, we could have played that. <laughs> but The Perfect Fine tells the story of, of a person where everything is at stake for a 40-year-old woman, her career, her ticking biological clock and bank account. And she risked it all for an intense secret romance with the one person who could destroy her comeback. Directed by Black Real Award nominated actress Numa Perrier, I think is her uh, Perrier, is, uh, uh, her name is pronounced. Uh, Gabrielle Union, Glendon Palmer, Tommy Oliver, uh, and a bunch of folks star in this thing. Aisha Powers, Aisha Hines, Layla, Lala, Anthony. I mean, there's a bunch of people in this movie, man. But let me break this thing down, man. This from the opening scene in Enuma Perrier did uh, Jezebel. So she, as a visual artist, as a director, has a really good eye for storytelling. And I loved, loved, loved if, if she talked, if, if, if Lanita talked about how rad the soundtrack was for uh, No Hard Feelings, you would love a soundtrack that mixes Billie Holiday. Um, Louis Armstrong, uh, Duke Ellington, I mean, they, uh, along with contemporary artists. So the music in this is great. Gabrielle Union, of course, who I think is a tad typecast, plays a woman who is in a relationship with a guy for a decade. They never married. She breaks up. She's sitting at home for a year moping her mama, played by the original Aunt Viv, Janet Hubert, uh, is like, baby. You's a grown-A woman. You got to get up out the house. <laughs> she goes to New York, and she takes a gig working for uh, her rival, played by Gina Torres. Uh, and the rest, as they say, she stumbles on to a, 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 a new, younger man. And before you know it, uh, there's some things that are tied, who this younger man is related to, et cetera. It is it is clearly uh, a how Stella got her groove back sort of a story with a contemporary twist. I thought it played very very well, and I love the writing. I love the perspective, even a little stronger than what they did with how Stella got her groove back. And in both cases, how Stella got her groove back and Waiting to Exhale were directed by. Uh, I know Farz Whitaker did Waiting to Exhale. And I want to say Kevin Kevin Rodney Sullivan did how Stella got a groove back. I think I'm not correct. I'm, if I'm not correct, is one is it's it was a man. So the fact that we had a woman telling a story about women, I think, brings a, a degree of freshness and authenticity that those other two movies I thought lacked. Um, I thought Gabrielle Union was great. Uh, Keith Powers, who plays the younger man. You know, uh, when when it when it played at my house, all the young women were seemed to be pleased. So 
That's all I needed right there. I'm like, hey, <laughs> if it works for you, it works for me. So this movie, of course, debuts on Netflix tomorrow. The perfect find would have been a perfect festival movie. Thank you, Netflix, for uh, not engaging us on that one. But Our Laws is your game. Uh, you should be able to check this movie out. I loved it, man. I really did. And I want to say, just to be very clear, I did not get an advanced screening of this movie. I have been waiting for the movie, just in case people are wondering why we would see No Hard Feelings, but not this one. It, you know, we have to go at the whim of the studio. I would have just devoured this movie. I can't, and after your I mean, review... I can put it on right Tim, now if you want to see a little bit of it. Yes, yes. Um, After your review, <laughs> I'm I'm getting up early to watch it. Definitely. Yeah. It's got it's got an amazing style to it. And I was like, I kept watching it. I was going, I love this soundtrack. So I'm shazamming all these songs. Like, who is this? I'm sure the per I'm sure the perfect fine is gonna get the B plus that should have got I, I should have given the no hard feelings or man, you're, I don't know. you're absolutely right. It is a B plus movie, man. It really is, man. Now it's, there's some scenes in there where it's kind of like I call it Harlem-esque. You know, like when you watch Harlem, it's like it's not really made. I'm not the target audience. This is a movie about a group of black women made by a black woman. So I'm there just as an observer. But as an observer on this one, I thought this was really, really well done. So mm. all right, guys. So we got about a minute and a half to go. Um, lady, you're out for a set of junkets for movies that we won't talk about because, you know, you are forbidden uh, you know, from from saying what these movies are. Charles is someplace forbidden that uh you know put some pants on charles be an adult <laughs> and no no he is clearly doing the absolute adulting <laughs> and i just want to share because shane before you guys came on i was telling shane my horrific juneteenth weekend of event <laughs> that i had uh man i tell you bruh all I can tell you, and I'll say this as a nice way as possible, when you have the other community outside of our community, you know, on CP time and doing uh, in-ish in sort of behavior, and I'm not talking about grown-ish either, some in-ish type of behavior, wow, y'all were doing the most this week. And if you were around me, you know who you are. <laughs> wow, that that was a little too inside the box, Tim Gordon. Look, look, look! I went to I went to a premiere earlier this week for a movie where the doors opened over an hour late. The movie started almost forty five minutes late, and there was no food. I went to another event where it was VIP, no food or alcohol, um, and no seats. You on your own. So, so I was telling Shane, I was like, yo, they start, we, we need to be better. We need to be better. I'm not even going to say anything. Please read between the lines. You see what my hands are? Read between the lines. We need to be better. Having said all of that, <laughs> Lenita Cook, thank you. It's always good when you're here. Charles Kirkland. I've already said what I said, and I said it with my chest, man. Don't embarrass us anymore. <laughs> uh, I'm out next week. Charles Kirkland is going to have the con. He'll be back in here. I'm coming back from Canada. 
Uh, as we tell you guys in closing every week, please see something good at the movies. We've given you a couple of options. Uh, you guys enjoy and continue to enjoy the rest of your summer. You guys take care. Keeping it real.